want to remind you of something. God has only good plans for your life. Only good plans. He has never had bad plans for you. He always has good plans. And it's easy for us to fail to see the plans of God working and see the good that are yet coming. But Jeremiah reminds us of this truth. And Jeremiah was facing, was in Israel, and they were in a tremendous time of turmoil and struggle. And uh, they were the breaking up of families and taking into slavery. And Jeremiah says this. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, and he's speaking from God. He's God's voice. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's plans for you. Does that sound bad? No. That sounds great, doesn't it? We all say what? Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful that that's the plan that God has designed for us? And yet there are many people today who miss God's plan for their lives because they allow hopelessness and struggle and disarray to get their, them off track. We see, we know those believers in our life, right? Those who have at one time walked with God, have experienced His working, and yet today they're struggling, they're, they're depressed, they're discouraged. So instead of deciding to follow God's plan, they begin to follow their own plan, which of course ultimately leads to pessimism and hopelessness and uh, when we look to our plan, it's always a mess, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but when I have plans for the day, God many times disrupts those plans because He has something unique and special that He wants to do in my life and in others' lives. And as I listen to the Spirit, His leading, He takes those plans that I had and He diverts them in a new way. And He accomplishes great and powerful and mighty things. David's talking about that in this passage in, in Psalm 25. Because David had plans for causing this nation of Israel to become a united kingdom. And yet there was all kinds of turmoil. There were those who were trying to rip the, the uh, nation apart. There were those who were trying to say, well, I'm from this tribe and I'm from this tribe and, and you're just this tribe. And there was all kinds of conflict. And, and David in the middle of Psalm 25 and the middle of the struggle and turmoil of outside forces, uh, godless people who wanted to destroy Israel, godly people who weren't in line with what God's plan was, and those who were just not, who were listening and wanting to be guided by Him. And so those three forces are going on, and so David is reminding us of how that God, despite the enemies that are in our lives, those who would seek to harm us and destroy us, God is in the middle of those things, and he has things that he wants to accomplish. <clears throat> so, you see, more, uh, the more we understand God's goodness in our life, what happens is, is we also become hope, more hopeful because we know God is good. Yes. And how often is God good? All the, All the time God is good. And so it's because of our realizing that God is good causes our hope to be uh, lifted up and to be influencing our life. Because you, when you and I ex begin to anticipate God's working, His goodness in our life, naturally, instead of looking at things that aren't as we would like, we see that actually God is busy working in our life. 
Now, there, there's really only one reason why we have real hope, and that is because God is good. And without God's goodness, there'd be really no rationale for reasoning hope. Because we live in a hopeless world. Yeah. Satan is on the attack. The world about us is, is declining, and we see all kinds of spiritual moral issues being undermined. Amen? The family being harmed. You know, all of these things that are happening, it would be easy for us to feel that it's hopeless. But you know, when we realize that God is good and His goodness endures through time, He will take those times, those seeming hope, hopeless things, and He will cause them to accomplish good. If you or others in your life are fighting discouragement and doubt and despair, then the message is clear. Our eyes need to be taken off of the problems and put our eyes on the goodness of God and the things that He has done in our life past and the things that He is going to do in the future. Amen. The things that He has in mind for today and the things that He has in mind for the future days. He has a purpose. He, none of us have a time in which we are wasting and having no purpose. You have a purpose. God has something unique that only you can provide. We need to be listening, though, to that purpose. Because unless we're listening and unless we're following the Spirit's leading, and as David demonstrates to us, that's how he overcame the enemies of his day. He learned to go back to, go back to, go back to. And he, he talks about the difficulty, the struggle, the enemy, and then he talks about the solution. And so as long as you and I understand that, then we can be strong in Him. You see, <clears throat> we want to think about this from David's perspective because David is talking about the enemies that God has promised to help us conquer. Not just survive, but conquer. You see, as you and I become strong in Him, what happens is the enemy becomes weakened. Because you see, the enemy is of the flesh. And we're of the supernatural. And so we have a far more powerful source of influence. Amen? Amen. You'll, you're going to be amazed as we think about it. I want you to think in for a moment something good that God has done past in your life. I want you to, if you have notes there, write a couple things down. Can you think of a couple? Oh my goodness. I can think of many, many. I can think of so many. Just yesterday, day before, God in His working in our life. He has done mighty things in our life. You know, I was just a little country bumpkin. Lived in a little town of Carville. My, I remember when our, our police officer, the one we had in Carterville, and when he finally got his magnetic light that he put on his Studebaker, and he, so he could pull you over and you knew he was pulling you over. Because he had the light, you know. I remember that. Going from that, coming down the mountain out of out of the uh, uh, Nevada, Sierra Nevadas, into Sacramento, and there was I was driving my little red B Dub, and looking across six lanes of traffic, I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> I must have heard God in the wrong way. It couldn't have been. His will for me to come here. Because look at all of the... I had never been in traffic like that ever in my life. Driving into Sacramento. 
But you know, God had a, His goodness that He wanted to accomplish in our life. And I uh, first place I stopped in Fair Oaks, California, and a missionary that was working with young people and children had asked my boss to for me to go to his house and care for his home for the first month. So here I am. Uh, I had $100 a month committed. My car payment was $60 a month. And that was it. But God daily provided. You know, uh, Sam Walton, owner of Walmart, we contacted one another when I was in high school. And he sent me a letter, had a $100 bill, and it said, Ben, I was just so impressed with your faith. Here's $100 to help you with your ministry. And you know, for five years, he continued every month, I got $100 from Sam Walton. God used people just like him to cause me to see his hand in my life. Times when I was down to the last drop of gas, and yet God had already provided ahead of time. And I'm sure you can think about those kind of instances in your life where God accomplished his work, where he provided. You see, what God does is goodness in our life that can cause you and I to grow in him. And we see here is David starting here in this 25th chapter. <clears throat> he turns to prayer and he mentions to the Lord all of his special burdens. But he also knew that God was ready and willing to accomplish his working. Now, as we look at verse 15, we look at the very first thing that David refers to there in 15. He says, My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemy. You know, David says, God's there in the middle of danger. When there's danger all about me, and believe me, David knew danger. You know, he was, think about it, he was going in and playing the harp for Saul the king, and Saul was turning around throwing a spear at him. Uh, you, know, you know, he knew danger. He'd experienced the great army of Israel warring against him, and with just his bit group of people, his... Uh, folks who were with him and God providing and protecting him, he knew danger and he said, my all eyes are always on the Lord. So how do we face this enemy danger? We put our eyes on him. We look at what he wants to accomplish and how he's going to work in our life because he says, for he rescues me from those traps. You see, the enemy wants to destroy us the enemy wants to get our focus off on the things that are about us in the, in the physical world. But God says, look to me. I have provided for you. I have brought you rescue and care from those even who are evil. You see, Satan is a destroyer, isn't he? Yes. And he, he's the murderer. He will try to trap us all if we let him. But if we follow God's will as David did, he said, my eyes are always on the Lord. Amen. He can't, the devil can't harm us because we're in his protective grip. He, he has his uh, forces about us, caring for us. I, I remember one time in Sacramento, I was driving down the road and we had an earthquake. 
and the earthquake shook, and I was not accustomed to earthquakes, being a country bumpkin from Missouri. And it, my car just in that, just twisted and turned, and I was driving now backwards, and there was five lanes of traffic. And I, I tried to back, go back and, and get off to the side of the road, and here's this big old semi barreling down on me. And I thought, well, Lord, I guess it's time. But you know what? God just stopped that truck. And the truck driver, everybody was shaken up. The whole in the whole highway, people were getting out of their cars and and wow, did you see that? And you know, just um, and the truck driver says, you know, I've never stopped that fast in my life, <laughs> and I have the biggest load I've ever had. And so he said, I don't know what you've been doing, but I believe that God intervened here because I've never stopped that quickly. You see. Danger does not have to ruin and destroy our lives. When we look to Him, our eyes are always on Him. We're looking to Him to rescue us from those, those things that Satan's trying to trap us with. God will be there. The second thing that He tells us there in verse 16, He says, Turn to me and have mercy, for I'm alone and in deep distress. David went to God he called out to God when he was lonely. You ever been lonely? Yeah. You ever been in the night and it's dark and it's just you? And you feel like the world is against you. There are struggles that are happening all about you. Friends and loved ones are facing struggle and difficulty. Loneliness. David says, God here I come to you. I'm looking for your mercy. I'm looking. Turn to me. He's saying, you know, I have grandkids, and whenever they're out in the backyard doing their fun things and the bicycles, they all say, Grandpa, look at me. Papa, look at me. That's kind of what David's saying. Papa, Daddy, look to me. Look to me. May your mercy come upon me. Because I'm alone. I am in deep distress. Think about it for a minute. David had three sons that tried to take to kill him and take over his kingdom. Three. Absalom, Ammon, and Adonijah. They tried to take over. The, they tried to kill him. They tried to overcome his army. So he knew distress. He knew loneliness. But God taught him the valuable lesson to call upon him to turn to you, to in his mercy work in your life. Notice what he says there, the next thing, that the enemy that we face sometimes is a broken heart. Look what he says there in verse 17. My problems go from bad to worse. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Can anything else go wrong? <clears throat> that In that uh, freeway, I backed, I didn't tell you, but I backed into the uh, guardrail and I could not get my car out. So a couple people had to help me push the car down so we could get the car out. And so it messed up the, the fender of the car. And so I finally, uh, I, was, I was living on a couple hundred dollars a month, so I didn't have money to fix a car. And so I drove around with that car for, I don't know, probably a year. And someone finally came to me and says, you know, Ben, I just can't have you driving that nice, pretty car with a beat-up fender. So I want to pay for your fender. So would you 
take it off and bring it to this body shop and I'm going to pay for to have it repaired. And so I'm thinking, oh good, well thank you Lord, that's so great. And so I took the fender off and, and took, I had to take the bumper off to, to, for them to put the fender back on. On my way to the body shop, another kid ran into me <laughs> and totaled the whole back of the car out. You see, and I thought, that moment I thought, just as David thought, my problems have just gone from bad to worse. I mean, just a fender busted up was okay. I could still get around. Now, you know about Volkswagen's engine is right there. And it had pushed the back of that car into that flywheel, so I couldn't even run the car. But you know what? The guy who was there... It was a hit and run, and he came and he hit my car and took off. The guy that was next to me, he said, oh, that is terrible. I can't believe that. And guess what his job was? <laughs> he worked for a body shop. He said, if you bring it in, let's, let's get this fixed. He called his friend. They hauled my car over there, pulled that car out, and got me so I could operate again. You know, God, even when times of seemingly everything going from bad to worse, being brokenhearted, God is not shortened in his care and his work for us. He still has his accomplishment. You see, if we sit alone and we feel sorry for ourselves, we're never going to experience the, in, the infusion of God's power and his joy into our life. But if we look to him and we remember the things of this life come from or issued from the goodness of God, then it causes us to look at that and not be overwhelmed, not be brokenhearted, but in fact, to recognize God must have something that he wants to accomplish. When you get a chance, those of you that have notes, there are a couple of passages, Psalm 4, Psalm 18, uh, Psalm 30, uh, 18, verse 36. Uh, look at those passages. It talks about David in the middle of uh, other kinds of times when he was, heart was broken. He, the next thing that he talks about there in verse 18, <clears throat> he talks about the enemy of regrets. Oh, have you ever regretted? Oh, if I just wouldn't have said this. Oh, if I just wouldn't have done this. Oh, if I just would have to, taken a different step, a different move. Listen to what David says to God. He says, feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. David had many things to regret. You know, he failed to, to address his sons uh, uh, raping his, his daughter. He failed to respond with that. He didn't do right. He didn't follow after God in that way. It, what a regret. And his, his other son killed this son because he did that to his sister. What a regret. David was a human being. He was a king, but he was a human. And he said, oh, feel my pain. Feel my pain. You know, as he led Israel and as he strived to bring them back to obedience to God and following his commands, oh, there were many hardships, many times where people were fighting him and hated him even. And all his purpose was is not to gain power, but to bring people back to righteously living before God because he knew that would be the place of blessing for them. And he's talking about, in fact, in Psalm 25, he says this, verse 7, he says, Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. 
Did you make some mistakes when you were young? Were you kind of rebellious? He says, remember me in the light of your unfailing love. For you are merciful, O Lord. <clears throat> My sister, about six years older than me, uh, met a boy and she felt that he was a man. He was gonna, she was going to marry him. And my parents said, no, you're not. And imagine that's hard enough when you have a young man who you really care for, who you've grown up with, and your parents say, no, he's not right for you. And we were going to the same church. <laughs> and his family went to that church. And I'm telling you, there may, almost every Sunday on my way home, my mother and my dad and my sister would argue. <clears throat> and they would... And my sister was rebelling against my, my parents' guidance. Now, little did we know, she went off to, there was almost a year of misery. And I thought, when I was sitting in the back seat, I loved my sister, and she was like a second mother to me. But, oh, was it terrible when she was in rebellion to my parents. My, my, my sister went off to, to Bible school. And my dad finally said, okay, I'm not going to fight you anymore. If you will go to Bible school for one year, if you want to come home and marry this guy, I'm going to let you. Kind of, okay. She went off to Bible school. She got into the Word, learning about God and His care. And she became a totally new person. Oh, she was wonderful before, but my goodness, she was amazing after spending that year. And she came home and she said to Dad, Dad, I'm, I'm not going to marry him. Because I, I know God has a plan and purpose for my life. And you feel like it's, he's not going to help me fulfill that. And so I'm going to give myself to follow and obey, obey you. She played the, piano, played the piano, played violin. And actually played for Back to the Bible Broadcast for about six years in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So she was very gifted, but you know, she would have never known of those things had she not submitted to God. That's what David did. David just submitted to God. He just said, okay, God, <clears throat> I've made some mistakes and I've had many regrets, but see my trouble and forgive all my sins. He goes on and he says the next thing that he talks about in his fear. In verse 15, Verse 19 and 20, he says, so, so see how my enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. See how David is responding, taking refuge in God, to looking to God, seeing those enemies, and they were many, and there were powerful nations that were trying to overcome Israel, trying to destroy and, and take them into slavery. Because, you know, Israel was a unique nation. They were a one nation where people, almost everyone in the country was literate. They could read. They could, they could do math. They were skilled. And so these countries that were surrounding them were desirous of taking over those countries because look at how much they could give to their country because most of their people couldn't read, couldn't write. But the Jews could. Because you see, they were following after God's commands and God prospered them in that way. And so David says, 
I've faced fear. Protect me. How do I face fear? Look to God for his protective work. Look to God for his rescuing hand in your life. And if you will do that, he will, in fact, provide for you. And the last thing that David talks about is the enemy of despair. Ever been in a time of despair? Look what he says there. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. Oh God, ransom Israel for all of its troubles. You know, he wasn't the only one that was in trouble. Israel was in trouble as well because they were not following after his commands to the extent they should. And so David called out to God and he said, you know my, my integrity. You know my purpose to follow you and to, to be guided by you in your word. Protect me. Yes. Protect me from those things. You know, David had to become a man of integrity. And in a number of Psalms, I, those of you that have notes, there's several passages that talk about David, and he uses the word there, integrity, uh, specifically in those passages. Whatever the, whatever the enemy is in your, our lives, when we're spending our focus on trusting and placing our confidence in him, he will always accomplish his working. You'll notice in verse... Uh, 22 he uh, talks about in that psalm ransom Israel for its troubles you know here he was he could be angry with them he could be frustrated with them but look at his heart the same heart that God has towards us the heart of forgiveness of entreaty to their defense the God of uh, seeking God's working and as we face our world about us it's important for us as we begin this new year that we we realize that there's not one enemy that we are going to face this year one difficulty that is going to be uh, overwhelm us but God is going to do his accomplish his work Psalm 27 just a couple chapters over David says this I certainly believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Yes. So David went through these struggles, what seemingly was insurmountable difficulties. The nation of Israel was really struggling as a time of struggle. But David, as he went through that, if continued to look to God to be his provider. He said, I certainly believed that the same goodness of the Lord comes to the land for the living. And so I wait for him. I be, I'm strong in him. I take courage in what he's going to do in my life. And I wait for him to guide me in that next step. Look at those four steps that David lays out for us in that verse. And think about it as you face difficulties of our day to take those steps and see God's hand working yeah. in your life he will never fail you amen? amen he will never fail you it may appear at the time that he's failing you but it, he will never fail you I have one last story I want to tell you I was going to uh, share the gospel talk with a man who you guys all know those little those little clips that you put on bread 
He invented those, and he became a millionaire over it. And his brother came to a rally that we had with teenagers. We had about 500 teenagers there, played basketball all day long, rented three gyms, and played basketball. <clears throat> and his brother came after the service. He accepted the Lord at the end. He was one of the sponsors for one of the teams that was there. And he said, would you do me a favor? And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I said 500 kids, and we had more than 50 kids accept the Christ as their Savior that day. It was an exciting day. First time I'd ever done that. Uh, rented five, three gyms, and, you know, the, just the trophies alone were like $350. I mean, it was scary. But God was good, and he was meeting and supplying the needs. And so I said, oh, sure, I'll do that. But he was in San Francisco, and I'm in Sacramento. So ways away, and uh, but I'll I'll do that. So I travel over there. That was during the time, remember, when we had gas shortages, and I had a Volkswagen, and they have a small tank, and they get good gas mileage. But I'm telling you, they do run out. And I had a car top carrier on top of my car, and I had two five-gallon cans of gas to get me to my various places. And as I was traveling, uh, he he was in the city, uh, San Francisco city proper. And as, as I was getting there, you know, I'm a bumpkin. You know, I've, you know the old map books? This was before GPS and all the other stuff. And Thompson's map book, somehow I got on the wrong road, and I ended up right on the road across the, the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. Well, it cost about, at that time, 250 to get back across. And so I'm thinking, okay, I have $2.50 in my pocket, and I barely have enough gas to get to his place. So, Lord watch over me. So I drive over the bridge, turn around, there's a Golden Gate Park, turn around and head back across. And would you not know it, about halfway across I ran out of gas. And here's all these cars, you know, beeping at me and honking at me, get off here, you're in my way, you know, uh, <clears throat> if you can imagine. Uh, so I get out of the car and I'm thinking, okay Lord, what do I do now? Uh, I just don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have any money and I'm out of gas. And I he said, well, maybe there's some. And, and so I reach up there, and of course, it's empty. It's fumes. And uh, as I'm, it's kind of raining, and uh, it's, it's misting. It's not pouring, but it's misting. And as I get out of my car to reach up there, this young man comes, and he just knocks me flat with his bicycle. And his stuff goes all over the road, and, and you know, all these cars are passing, and they're honking. It's just a disaster. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, and I helped him pick his stuff up, and, and I, I began, I said, uh, uh, you know, he said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to have to wait here because I don't have any more gas. And said, why don't you come in and put your bike there and come in and sit with me for a minute because I want to tell you something. And he said, okay. So he got in the car, and I shared the gospel with him. He accepted the Lord. He prayed, asked God to come into his life. You know, imagine the craziness and I just finish, and he just prays, and he says, you know, <clears throat> I have something I want to show you. And he showed me, you know, he was, he was getting ready to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge because he was giving up on life. Just as we're finishing there, guess what? The police come up, and they are just happy to push me off the bridge. Isn't that wonderful? And so they push me off the bridge, and as they push me off the bridge, and I go on a side street, guess what happens? This lady comes out of the store and says, 
do you have had these magnetic signs on the Volkswagen and it says word of life she said do you know Jack Wurtson I says yeah in fact I've spent the summer with him oh that's wonderful she says you know I just love that work she says you know Hira I have ten dollars I want to give to you I want to help the, the word of the work of word of life God provided here she gives me ten bucks and here's the gas station and I call the man and say you know I'm running late and uh, you probably don't want to meet with me. He says, oh no, I want to meet with you. My brother has told me that it's important for me to talk to you. And so I said, okay. So I went to his office. You know, I can imagine I had just clean, dry cleaned my suit and it was muddy now because a young man had knocked me on the, on the uh, sidewalk there. And so I was muddy and kind of messed up and, and the, his secretary says, are you okay? You know, kind of, kind of skinned up my hand and and she says, you okay? And, and so I said, oh, yes, I'm fine. And nothing a, a good scrubbing won't fix. And so I go in and talk with this man, and, and he came to know Christ as his Savior there that day. God wants to work in our lives. Amen. He wants to. He yearns to. Yes. And he usually does it when they're in the middle of struggle. Have you noticed that? Yes. When we have times of struggle, that's the very time that he supernaturally works. And God caused this man, he went back to Word of Life and began to work back there at Word of Life. This young man who, who had invented uh, bread fasteners. And I don't know if he still gets money from that, but you know, he was just amazed with the fact of God and his love for him. God wants to work, just like with David, in the middle of danger and struggle when the enemy seems to be winning, God wants to work. I believe that's what he has in mind for this nation. I really do. I believe that we're, we're going down. We're struggling. We look all about us and there's turmoil and struggle and, and just terrible, horrendous things. But God wants to take this time of danger. And if we as his people will listen and will follow his ways, he'll take us through this. And just as David experienced God's provision for Israel, God overcame this great mighty army, and God gave them the victory. Should not have happened, but God gave them. God wants to do that for you and me. He wants to take these times of difficulty when the enemy seems to be winning, and he wants to take us through that time. Notice what David's focus was. Oh Lord, don't let you yourself be disgraced because he knew that if he was disgraced as the king of Israel God would be disgraced he says don't let us be disgraced and the word that's used there is is spoken as if he's speaking with God saying don't let us you and me yes. be disgraced instead God do your work and that's exactly how God wants to work in our life amen Listen to him. Follow his leadership. And he will guide you. He will direct your walk. And he will do something beyond your wildest dreams if you'll but follow him and surrender yourself to him.